Thanks for tuning in to How's Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library right here in Wellsville, New York. I'm Nick Gunning. My guest today is best-selling author J.T. Ellison, whose latest book, Her Dark Lies, is in stores and your local library right now. J.T., thanks so much for doing this. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled we were able to make this happen. Well, this must be a, a busy time for you with a new book just barely out a couple of days <laughs> as we record here, so I'm sure you've got a lot going on. It has been. It's been a really crazy week, an incredibly lovely week. I I got to spend every night this week with some of my best writer friends, and this is my 22nd event for this book. Not this week, but for the past few weeks. This is number 22, and then I have 22 to go. So you've hit me right in the middle of of everything. So I still have energy. I'm still interested in <laughs> talking about the just, book. Just under the gun. All right, that's good. Just under the gun. Another week, and I'm just like, yeah. There's a book. Yeah, what? forget it. Forget it. <laughs> I mean, this must be very different from uh, other times that you're out promoting books. How? What are the pros and cons of uh, operating the way we are right now when it comes to uh, getting out there and talking about the book? It's actually been remarkably fun because yeah. I've gotten to go to stores that I. I love, but haven't been to mm. stores. I haven't been able to get to libraries. I haven't been able to get to. I've met a bunch of new people through the internet, yeah. which is, you know, it's something that always happens, but it's it's just on steroids right yes. now, right? So <laughs> yes. <laughs> I signed I signed stock at uh, Parnassus Books yesterday. It's the mm-hmm. first time I've been in the bookstore oh. um, in months. Yeah. And I, you know, I went in, I've got my big duck bill N95 mask yep. on and, you know, signed a bunch of books yep. and they were from all over the country. So I think there's a change afoot for the stores, yeah. which is really interesting. And I hope going to be lucrative, mm-hmm. just how everything is, is just, it's different. Personally, I'm an introvert. Yeah. So it's been hard, but better for me (laughs) to just walk into my office, turn on my lights and talk to people. Mm -hmm. And then I get to shut everything down and go back to my life and the cats and, you know, my my husband and everything. I, I, it's not getting up at 4am and powering through to the, you know, till 1030 PM and eating a salad at 1030, though I did eat a salad (laughs) at 1030 last night, which, you know, it's not tour unless you're eating dinner at 1030 at night. Yeah, you have to keep keep them going. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure it's changing the way people are thinking about things like interacting with authors off their visits and things, because who doesn't love a a signed book? I mean, everybody does. But I, I don't think before this, it would have occurred to me to like, seek out a bookstore and order a signed copy that way but I just think more and more that's happening and I think that's great it's happening and we are very accessible right now authors yeah (laughs) it's hard you can't really you know shake a stick without hitting four or five of us doing (laughs) Facebook lives and Instagram lives and radio shows and podcasts and library events and bookstore events I mean it, we're everywhere. Yeah. If you want to access your favorite author, um, we are findable at this moment. So. <laughs> For better or worse, right? I For mean, better you're... or worse. <laughs> all right. It has really been interesting to, to see all the changes and how everybody's adapting and overcoming. I mean, I'm sure it has. What we because... do. So many little subtleties that you didn't think about before, things you would have taken for granted before. Now it's like everything has a little extra layer of thinking. But, you know, as you're saying, you're also able to reach in in a more personal way so many more people than you were before. So it's 
nice to yeah. look at the yeah. some of the so positives, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always a positive, right? There's always an upside. Well, I'm curious while you're out there promoting your own book, if you have time to read yourself. So uh, let's let's dive into our bookmark segment. Anything you've been reading uh, right now that you'd like to talk about? Oh my gosh! So my sister, my she's not my real sister, but she is a, a sister of the I heart. It. I get it. Her new book came out this week too. Her name is Patty Callahan Henry. And the book is Surviving Savannah. Okay. Surviving Savannah. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> Absolutely spectacular historical fiction. Incredibly oh. well researched about the Pulaski, which is the Titanic of the South. Yeah, yeah. Really cool story. Really well done. She's a beautiful writer. It's a really wonderful book. I also just finished, and I've been just evangelizing the push from mm. Ashley Adrain. I loved that book. It was one of those, you very, very rarely you read a book, you close the cover and you're like, dang it. Yeah. I really wish I had thought of that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I see. It's one of those. It's one of those. It's written in a really interesting structure. It's incredibly well done. It's dark and unsettling. Sure. And it, I just loved it. Well, that so sounds I can't, great. can't recommend both of those enough. When you were saying uh, your your ah, when you close it, I thought you were heading to uh, talking about when you when you finish a book and you're like mad that that's all there is, you know, that like you miss the characters and you just like oh. want more of that book because there's nothing worse than you thinking you have like 50 more pages and you get there and there's like an index and you're like, no, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I know. So, I know. Yeah. And there are books, you know, there are books. There's another one that I read uh, at the beginning of the year, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue mm -hmm. by V. Schwab. Yeah, yeah. And I know Victoria, She's she used to live here in Nashville, and, and I miss her because she's moved, and I miss her dreadfully. But that one, I actually refused to finish it. Really? I let it sit for about two months because I didn't want it to end. It was that gorgeous and perfect and beautifully realized and I didn't want it to be over mm -hmm. and so I, I read all the way to the end and then I sat there for a good two months and left the last wow. two chapters That's dedication until I finally was like all right I can't I can't I gotta do it yeah but just another brilliant book I haven't read those myself, but my wife is actually currently reading them. And that's been her, that's been her, like she finishes one and she's like, I have to get the next one. I have to get the next one. So uh, for me, I've been alternating between heavier things and lighter things. So I, I've been reading Barack Obama's Promised Land, but uh, I took a little break from that because I'm a sucker for a good cozy mystery. Are you a cozy mystery fan? You know, I have to be in the mood. Yeah. I usually like my stuff a little bit darker, but yeah. The older I get, the less dark I like things. Yeah. So actually, I, I would love a recommendation yeah. because I'm, I'm kind of there. I'm well, at that this, point. I, you know, I try to keep up with the, with the book clubs the library's doing and like, you know, reading whatever the hot new thing is. And so like, I like to sort of sandwich in there some like just lighter, fun fare. And, and this one that I'm reading right now, The Secret of Seaside by Agatha Ball, like fits the build perfectly. It's a nice beachy setting. There's a mystery. And I just, sometimes I need one of those like, in and out, just sit down, have a good time, quick reads. Palette and that's cleansers. Exactly. And that's exactly what this one was. So uh, I, I had a good time with that. And I'm going to get right back into uh, Promised Land. I've been waiting for the audiobook for that one. Are you an audiobook fan? I am. I I am a recent audiobook convert. Sure. And it's, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm using them on my, when I'm working out, you mm-hmm. know, riding the bike or on the leg press or something. And oh my gosh, I absolutely love it. I yeah. love it. I love being able to, you know, escape into somebody else's world. Yep. I have to turn them up to go faster. I can't listen to them <laughs> at regular speed. I, I do have to turn them up. I agree. Because I agree. it just, they seem very slow in telling the story but normal people talk faster i talk faster than most Mm -hmm. so if if my brain (laughs) processes it as a more of a natural conversation and that was the that was the trick for me because i had tried them before in the past and they were just i couldn't keep my attention focused on them oh once i sped it up man boom then that was that was it I agree completely. I, I'm I'm always kicking up the speed, which drives my wife crazy. If we try to listen to something together, she's like, did you speed this up again? And I'm like, sorry, but I can't do it. I can't just like sit in a chair and listen to an audiobook. you know, like I have to be like taking the dog for a walk or doing the dishes or right. driving, you know? Right. And so I used to, I was exactly. really, I was, yeah, exactly. I was going through a lot of them, but you know, we're still working remote part-time. So I'm not in the car, like nearly as much. And so my audiobook you know, content has gone way down. All right. Well, I appreciate the recommendations. Uh, are you, Ditto. are you somebody who, who likes to sit down and do a big chunk of reading? Like, are you like, I, I can't do it unless I can do like a hundred pages or are you like a quick bite kind of reader? I'll take anything I can get. <laughs> um, I, really, I imagine I really particularly I'm, right I'm now. I'm exceptionally greedy. Yeah. I'm a greedy reader, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll take what I can get. Well, I'm sure you got to be pandemic has ruined me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Say it again. No, I just was saying, I bet you have to be like sticking it in whatever you can get, you know, when you're eating your 1030 PM salads right yeah. now, I'm, <laughs> your schedule's probably pretty tight. I'm actually reading one of my old books, I'm, 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 which is weird, but every once in a while I have to do that to pull, to pull some things together and okay. I'm editing it right now. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But I, the pandemic kind of ruined me for reading. That's why I get so excited when I find a book right now that actually holds my attention long yeah. enough for more than a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've read a lot of books this year that, you know, I, I, I realize I have sat down to read and I am either in the kitchen or I'm on my laptop or, you know, I, I've somehow put the book down because my, my attention span has just been fractured. I think everybody's has. Yes. I, well, that's why I, when, when you look at like my list of, of reads for the last year, I feel like the stuff that's highbrow has gone way down and the stuff that's like lighter and fun and quick has gone way up because it's just like, I've needed that escape a lot more, I think than I have in, in past years. Yeah. No, I hear you. One book I read recently was called Her Dark Lies. So shall we get into it? <gasps> well, sure. <laughs> I heard that that's a pretty good book. I, I told would, me. I would agree. That they liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one person is so <laughs> Well... You know, I opened this by introducing you as a best-selling author and looking over the things you've done, I feel like that's just kind of a small slice of, of the things that uh, you, you're doing with your time lately, because you're also the host of the TV show Word on Words, and you started your own publishing house, Two Tales Press, and I'm, I'm curious about both of these. So let's talk about the show first. Okay. So A Word on Words is the ongoing show in Nashville, John Siegenthaler, was absolutely astounding. I don't know if you're familiar with him. If you're doing political biographies, you need to go look him up because he's a pretty incredible part of the history of this country. Mm -hmm. 
he did the show every morning on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And it was a sit down, you know, 30 minute interview in studio. And uh, he read everybody. He had everybody on the show. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what genre you were. I mean, it was it was just wonderful. And when he passed away, the station didn't want the show to go away. Sure. So they reimagined it into what we call an interstitial, which is the show between the shows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a short, punchy piece that can air between longer episodic mm-hmm. TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hired me and Mary Laura Philpott, who's another author here mm-hmm. in Nashville, to do the interviews. And we are wrapping season six right now, which wow. is just mind blowing. But to to be able to carry on the literary legacy of John Siegenthaler in Nashville is like honestly one of the greatest honors of my life. It, it's it's an amazing show run by an amazing station, Nashville Public Television, mm-hmm. with incredible people working on it. And we get to talk to so many cool authors. It's really it's really a great thing. I love it. Well, you mentioned the format and, and I particularly like that format because it is that just that quick bite. You know, and I think it's clear watching the episodes Mm -hmm. that obviously, I mean, you speak the language, you know, so when you're sitting down with somebody who is an author like you, I think you can really get to the heart of it really quickly. And that comes across so well in those in those they typically are about three minutes. Right. Is that what the segment usually runs? That's right. It's it's about three minutes and we do a 25 minute interview, you know, 20 to 30 minute interview. And then the producers <laughs> and the editors, bless their hearts, have to edit that down. We've started actually, though, this season adding the transcripts of the full interview. I saw that. So yeah. when you go to a wordonwords.org, a wordonwords.org, mm-hmm. you can look at the the full transcript and see the entire conversation that we had. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really nice addition. Really yeah. cool addition to these. Well, it is. It's a. It's an interesting assortment of writers because it does sort of feel like it's. It's across all different genres, and and like I said, I just I feel like you get right to it, and the and the content in that three minutes is like, you know, I you just learn a lot about that author and about the book. So I, I had a good time catching up on it. So I'm glad you said the uh, oh, the you. website there so people can find it. Let's, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Two Tales Press as well, because I it, it now you know, where did the where's the genesis of that? How does that begin? So I'm a businesswoman mm-hmm. at heart, sure. and I always feel like if you're running a business, you need to have a plan B in mm-hmm. case the business model that you're following blows up. Mm-hmm. Publishing was looking a little bit awkward uh, with the disruption of eBooks, yeah, and my career wasn't necessarily doing exactly what I wanted it to do, and okay. so I was exploring. Well, if I if something happens to traditional publishing or to my career how can I publish my own work? Because yeah. I'm not going to stop writing yeah. and, and the readers aren't going to stop reading. Exactly. You know, that's, there's, there's this dynamic that sometimes I think people forget in the industry that it's th- what the writer writes and what the reader reads. And the rest of it is an addendum to sure. that, right? It's about the experience between the writer and the reader. And sometimes it's really hard to you know, get your book, through the system into the reader's hands. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think indie publishing has turned into such a huge phenomenon because a lot of people just, they don't want to deal with what happens in traditional. Now, I personally love it. I mean, I love that I've got an editor and a copy editor and a marketing team and an art team. I I really much prefer that. But I also wanted to make sure I knew how to do it if I needed to. 
And that's why I set up two tales. I've done all of my short stories that I've written over the years are available. I've done a couple of anthologies with friends mm-hmm. um, that I, I edited, put together, you know, just ways to kind of share. Uh, it, I, I feel strongly that a rising tide lifts all boats. Sure. So a lot of the stuff that I do there is a way to introduce my readers to other authors who they might not know about and do it in a format with the anthology with themed short stories Mm -hmm. and that was that's been really fun so speaking of this tomorrow on the 30th you will be able to go to amazon or your bookstore or the library hopefully it'll be in the libraries by then (laughs) but it's going to go on sale on the 30th the last three print editions of the taylor jackson series because they have been out of print for many many years Uh the first the first several books are in print but the last three have been out of print for i think seven years how frustrating and i got the i got the rights back and i'm putting them out in hardcover and trade paperback oh wow and i will certainly give you the isbn so you can order them for the library definitely yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm really really excited to to do this and i'm doing it through two tales so mm-hmm. this is the first time that i'm publishing my own work wow in novel format on yeah. the site so i'm i'm really interested to see what happens and you know like i said hopefully this is it's all up and running on the 30th that's what i'm editing now is the last of one of the books just to make sure everything's right and it looks good um i've already got all the covers everything's ready it's in the system i just need to finish my uploads and pull the trigger so i'm really excited about it that that is exciting and how do you find the process of editing yourself are you uh do you think you're particularly harsh with your own work or you you like is it because I would be. That's why I ask. I would. <laughs> I would own, love. So, so my publisher is keeping the digital rights, and I've got the print rights. Okay. And I, so I can't make a ton of changes. I there see. are certain things that, like, I noticed during this period they had lost the Oxford comma. Ah. So that's going back. Okay. All right. And there's, you know, maybe a word here or there, but I can't really change it because I, I still want the experience to be synchronous between yeah. the digital and the print. Okay. But I mean, the, the the more important thing is just making sure the formatting is correct and, and just reacquainting myself with the stories because okay. they have been out of print for so long. I want to be able to talk about them. And I've, I've surprised myself. There have been things in these books that I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot <laughs> all about that. All right wow that's really a cool thing you know so it's been a really interesting exercise in how to publish Mm -hmm. and i i think all authors need to know how to take care of themselves in case of you know uh, catastrophe you know be it personal or publishing or you know whatever it's always good to know how to reach your readers directly now, is this, did you, did you ever envision yourself like going back and, and being the publisher on your own books when you were first starting out? Or was that just like, you know, it's really funny. The first book, I got an agent, but it didn't sell. Oh, and my dad said, you know what, it doesn't matter. If nobody in New York picks it up, we'll start a publishing house and we'll publish it ourselves. So my, <laughs> there you, go. you know, my dad's got that entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Spirit. So it's in your blood. Is, yeah. is an entrepreneur. Yeah, it just never, you know, it was, it was I think these words have value. I think they have an entertainment element that people will enjoy and I want to get them in their hands. And I've been incredibly blessed with the traditional career that I've had. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been remarkably lovely and I love the people that I work with and how it works and 
how we're getting books into the hands of readers and the whole shebang, you know, it's it's awesome. But, you know, it's always, it's always good to know how to do it yourself just in case, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just have a plan B. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some nice security in that. Looking, looking at, you know, when you were first starting out, do you remember the moment where, where you kind of stepped back and were like, oh, wow, this is happening. Like, this is going forward. Like, what was the first moment that you were like, really wowed? We had, this was before I even had an agent. This was when I was first drafting. Mm-hmm. We had an editor um, at the local paper who was a friend of ours. He read the book mm. and he wrote us and said, this is really good. I think you should think about trying to get this published. Wow. And I hadn't, I mean, that wasn't even really on my radar at mm-hmm. that point. It was such a, it was such a, an ephemeral thing. I was just writing a book. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. writing the book for publication. And and he was the one that kind of went, no, this is good enough to, to publish. I think you should do that. And that made me start looking at it from a completely different perspective. How could this be a business instead of a hobby yeah so that was and you know that was probably in 2003 mm-hmm. i think that happened and then i got my first i got my agent in 2005 and and we got my first deal in 2006 so things you know kind of yeah. clicked along pretty yeah quickly. that is that is quick the second book i wrote is the first one that sold i got lucky i yeah. got really lucky still i mean that must have just been such an exciting and surreal feeling to you know see your book in a bookstore or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yes Yes, it was. Um, I had a very hard time keeping myself together because that was um, it was it was incredible. What I'll tell you, I'll tell you another moment and you'll appreciate this. I was at a book signing with a friend and there was a librarian there and and my friend said, hey, her book's coming out shortly. And she said, oh, really? Well, what format? Because at the time, mass market was huge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the mystery authors were coming out in mass market. Yeah. And I said mass market. And she said, oh, that's a shame. Our library doesn't buy mass market. Li- she said, libraries don't buy mass markets. And I was crushed, mm. crushed. And I was on the phone with my dad. And there's a website called WorldCat, mm-hmm. which I'm sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with. Sure, yeah. And I, I plugged my name in. And it was in 300 library systems. (laughs) And I was like, Daddy, they are buying the, she was wrong, they are buying it. And I think that too was a hugely seminal moment that, you know, you know what? Don't listen to people who say you can't do things, that this won't happen, that you could never make that happen. That was just somebody who, I don't know. I don't know what her problem was that day. Maybe she had just not had not had the right cup of coffee yeah. when she got up that morning. But she was mean, and and that was <laughs> awful. But then I found out that she was completely wrong, mm. and it made my world. It, it just it just tickled me. I can't tell you how many times I went back to WorldCat as that book see started making its way up, yeah. and seeing the number tick yeah. up and tick up. And then suddenly it's in a library in Australia and then it's in a library and, you know, all over the world. Yeah. It, it was, it was remarkable. It really was. Well, on behalf of librarians, I'm sorry that that lady was mean to you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I actually, I actually, I actually ended up speaking at her library, which did buy the books. 
And, of course, and yeah. I mentioned it to her. She's like, I didn't say that. Nice try. Never say that. Nice try. I'm like, no, no, you did because I went home just all upset. Well, yeah, it was really funny. And, and here know. we are. Here we are with her dark lies. And it seems like the all of their reviews so far have been great. I loved Publishers Weekly had a starred review there where they compared it to uh, Rebecca, which I thought. You know, maybe shame on me when I was reading it. I I didn't think of that, but that is a cool comparison. Was Rebecca in your head when you were when you sat down to write uh, her Dark Lies? Oh, sure. It is this book is an homage to many of the earlier gothic thrillers? Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly elements. I was I was very much inspired by Rebecca. I mm-hmm. was listening to it for research for another book, and there's a question that came to me as I was listening. And I've read it a number of times. This was the first time I had done it on audio because, again, okay. recent audio book yeah. convert. Yeah, one and a half speed. It, right, at one and a half speed. It's incredibly well acted, but there were things in it that I recognized that I hadn't picked up when I read it, mm, right? When mm-hmm. you, it's just a different, you know, you're a different part of your brain oh, yeah. is processing yeah. the story. And I, a question formed in my head, and it was not answered. Mm-hmm. And, and, that kind of got in, into my brain and said, all right, I'd like to answer this question. It's what's behind the veil of all of this, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. you don't know who Rebecca actually is. You only see Rebecca through the other eyes of the characters. And one of them, we don't even know her name. Mm-hmm. Complete unreliable narrators. We yeah. don't know who she is at all, yeah. right? So that was kind of the, you know, the beginnings of this story idea. Mm-hmm. What, but I didn't want to do a retelling. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, just regurgitate a story in a modern setting. I really wanted to just take that question and riff off of it and see what happens. And so I'm I'm really happy that the reviews have picked up on the homage, that they do see that this, you know, has an, an inspired by element to it, but it's also inspired by Ripley. Mm-hmm. And it's inspired mm-hmm. by uh, Highsmith and and uh, my cousin Rebecca and all not my cousin Rebecca. Rachel. Oh my gosh, Rachel! Thank you. Yeah. All of these books, right? All of this genre just really got in my head at this particular time, and I wanted to write a story that was a little more languorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the work that I do is boom, 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 super heavy, fast paced. And I wanted to do something that gave you a chance to get into the story, really get to know the setting and the characters and experience it Mm -hmm. with them in a way that I hadn't done before. So that was what I was attempting to do. So I was glad that people are picking up on it. I think the setting really, I mean, that that made it sort of have this big airy feel and and the, you know, the place where they're at just is mysterious on its own. You know, all these different rooms and different areas and you never quite like, I never quite had it clear in my head, like what this place looked like and what the setup was. And so that always made it feel just a little unsettling, you know, because it's kind of, it's, it makes it so you're just, I just, I just never feel like the characters are safe in, in the setting as it was. But I want to ask you something about because you Good. mentioned you mentioned <laughs> oh, <laughs> you mentioned yep. un- unreliable narrators, and like I know I know that's not a I know that's not a new storytelling technique, but I feel like in recent years it's it's become much more popular, and so I'm wondering like how do you fit your storytelling into that current trend of unreliable narrators? Like, does the fact that people 
might assume that we're dealing with an unreliable narrator, does that play into your method? Like, do you do you feel a little bit more compelled to be cagey about that, or or how do you how do you adapt to that? I usually, I mean, in, in several of these books, I will have a point of view from a character that is 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 meant to be a signal. Mm-hmm. Hey. <laughs> things yeah. are not what they seem right <laughs> danger you know? let me let me just knock on your door yeah. and let you know they aren't telling you the truth so i've done that i've done something similar in a in a couple of novels where i've actually had a third party narrator mm. who is is a device meant to propel that story forward while also making it very clear that what you're hearing is maybe not the truth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the titles also kind of are are, are a indicator sure. you know her dark lies yes, yes. lied to me you know anything with a lie in the title that's that's kind of a, a signal that you're going to be lied to <laughs> in many right, ways right but it's you know they i don't set out to do that necessarily okay. it sometimes happens and sometimes it doesn't sometimes they're unreliable and sometimes they're not i think we're all unreliable narrators that's I don't true think any of us are reliable we only especially now we curate our lives for people. Mm-hmm. You only see what we want you to see. And that I think is really spilling over into fiction. It's, mm-hmm. it, there's just no way it can't. We're all so very careful of what we let out and what we let in. And that's, it's certainly showing up in our work, mm-hmm. showing up in mine for sure. Well, let's talk about your use of lies for a minute, because as you were saying that, it was making me think of Lie to Me. And that I think that was the maybe the was one of the first of your books that I'd read. Our our uh, our friends of the library president, Chris Bailey is her name. She is an avid reader of your work. She was like, oh, you have to you have to read this. You have to read this. And in Lie to Me, that's another one where it's like there's these subtle lies. And then it's just sort of lies on top of lies on top of lies. And you just it's you know you can't as a reader like you can't hold on to like wait i was trusting this person and now i don't and i just wonder like why do you think that this this concept of a lie why is that such a rich vein for storytelling you know like because often i feel like in in your work you'll have sort of a base lie and that's really sort of the root of the problem and things just keep cracking like a windshield out from there why do you think that's such a such a rich way to tell a story with with starting with a simple lie because i think everybody's a liar (laughs) (laughs) i i don't trust necessarily what people i meet for the first time are saying to me Mm -hmm. it takes a while i'm an introvert so it takes me a while to get to know people and just because of what i do i'm always looking at are they really saying you know do, do they mean what they say yeah do they are they walking the walk or are they just talking the talk? You, you know, I'm always analyzing those kinds of things. And that that just finds its way in. But it's it's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to try to mislead the readers. Readers are so incredibly smart. They're very hard to mislead. Mm-hmm. And there's been a big trend lately with these, you know, huge reversal kitchen sink, you know, out of nowhere twists. Yes. And I, I worry that we're conditioning the reader for the twist because yeah. when you write a book like this that isn't necessarily a twist, it, it, it's a closed circle mystery mm-hmm. and the reader knows more about what's happening than the characters do. It's right. much more like a thriller. Right. That's how thrillers are, right? The reader knows who the killer is because yeah. the reader has the killer's point of view. And I think that's spilled over into my work. Instead of having the killer point of view, Mm -hmm. I have an unreliable liar 
who is, you know, trying to let the reader know what's going on, but the characters in the story don't. Yeah. It's just a style that I've developed, I think, over the years. Well, I think what's fun about it, like going back to Her Dark Lies, I feel like, you know, when I was reading that, it, it was kind of the, the sense, the same feeling you get like in Vertigo, like when you're looking at that stairwell going, wow, 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 because it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, you're always a little unsettled. And I think the suspense just keeps like ratcheting up, you know, like just when you think you're going to get a reprieve, it's like that screw is twisted just a little bit more. And I would just imagine that would be really challenging as a writer to find the right balance of twisting that screw just enough without pushing it too far or without going far enough. Like, how do you how do you make sure your story's structure like works out so that people are in anticipation for just the right amount of time? That's funny you mentioned the screw turning because it's a really great visual for what I'm doing. I don't write in a traditional three-act structure. Okay. I didn't know the three-act structure when I started writing. So I was already not writing in that vein when I found out about it five books in. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to try to write a book like this. And oh my gosh, that didn't work. <laughs> That's just not how I do it. Mine is much more of a of a five, five and a half act. Okay. So it is turns of the screw. And I think of them literally as turns in a book. Okay. So it's really interesting that you, you picked that metaphor because that's exactly what it is. What are my turns? Where are things going? That's kind of how I'm looking at it when I'm structuring it. And that's where having an unreliable narrator is so, so fun because you've got the element of, okay, you're going to reveal a tiny bit. You're just going to peel a little bit of that person yeah. off and you're going to peel a little bit more and peel a little bit more. And the onion of who they are just starts to, but you know how, when you start peeling an onion apart, sometimes it just disintegrates and mm -hmm. falls open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you got to be careful not to peel too far yeah. or the whole thing will just go and then they won't be interesting anymore. Right. right you right, got to yeah. hold back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overpeal it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what I think is such a, it's such a delicate balance, you know, and that's, I think the fun of, of uh, some of these books that, that it does, it just holds you right there. And then it like, right when you, right when you need the reveal, it comes. So I, I think that's, I think that's very cool in your writing. Um, Thank you. Now, I'm wondering if someone who's never read any of your work before, do you have a preference? Like, is there a book that you keep coming back to where you're like, oh, this is the one to start with? Well, it depends on what you're into. I if suppose, you like yeah. police procedurals. Yeah, it depends because I've written in several genres mm. now, all within the crime fiction umbrella. But like we've already talked about, there are a number of different kinds of crime fiction mm -hmm. from cozy to procedurals. Yeah. So if you like procedurals, I recommend starting with Field of Graves, which is the first in the Taylor Jackson series. Okay. Taylor is a homicide lieutenant in Metro Nashville, and there's eight books in that series. And then there's a spinoff series with the medical examiner with this Samantha Owen. So okay. that, you know, goes into the forensic thriller. Mm -hmm. If you like standalone suspense, then definitely Her Dark Lies is a good place to start, okay. actually. All right. Lie to Me is, is another really good one. All of them, all of my standalones are in this more psychological suspense, domestic noir. Okay. It's a difference between... The procedurals are the character is coming and knocking on somebody's door. And in the suspense novels, the characters are the one whose door is being knocked upon. Mm -hmm. So it just okay. depends on which angle of storytelling you like. Mm -hmm. Have you, like, do, do you get a lot of, uh, I, you know, we were talking before we started rolling here about just how this, uh, this the new wave of, of 
communicating with uh, with your readers now is so much different than it was a year before. I'm wondering, have you gotten any you know letters or correspondence about a particular book that that surprised you recently? Have you had more people reaching out to talk to you about books? About the same. Okay. Um, I right. I think I think social media certainly has. I mean, this has been not just this year, but over the past several years. Yeah. It's been much more. I don't get as many fan letters because people are writing me directly on Facebook yeah. or, you know, they're tweeting me and sending me a DM or, you know, stuff like that. We're, we're there. Are, it's diffuse because there are multiple ways to say something, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, everybody misses Taylor. <laughs> everybody misses Taylor. That's, yeah. that is the vast majority of the, of the mail that I get is when are you going to bring back Taylor and Sam? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's uh, the, the, the publisher wasn't really digging the the series anymore oh, okay. and you know that and that happens right yeah, the yeah. the suspense the standalone suspense market was taking off i'd written no one knows which was very well received it's my first standalone okay and i wanted to try my hand at another one so it was kind of a combination of they were like hey you know why don't you try some standalones and i was like hey i've written 12 books in a row with the same characters maybe i want to try a standalone yeah yeah so it was it was kind of actual decision and it caught on mm. i mean it's really caught on this this suspense market you know for a while they were like ah there's no room it's it's going to shift back to procedurals and mm. it didn't mm. i'm starting though to see a shift back to procedurals i don't know if you've noticed that but a lot of the books that are coming out are more on the procedural side of mm. things we've got more law enforcement characters that yeah. are starting you know, marshals and PIs and all of that are starting to come back. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting watching the market wax and wane yeah. and, and tastes wax and wane. And, yeah. and I'm, I feel very blessed that I've actually been in the market long enough to see some of these shifts mm-hmm. and hopefully be able to, you know, uh, either be at the forefront of them or pretty close to it. Yeah. And, you know, working my way through that, uh, you know, that's that the book I'm working on right now is a combination of the two. So I think I think reading habits just shift so quickly, mm-hmm. you know, because we see people all the time who who just have to have the next book in this series, you know, like that's what they're waiting for. That's the thing they want. But it sort of seems like for a while there, it was like people didn't didn't want to start a new series or they didn't want to have to mess with, oh, this is book three. What are the others? And they were really gravitating towards the standalone. So it's so unpredictable, but it does kind of go back and forth. And you sort of see a return to the familiar where people are gravitating towards characters that they know and love versus like picking up something new. So, yeah, it's like it can go either way. But I guess I have noticed a bit of a focus in that regard. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it really, it really has. And, you know, a lot of the writers are writing for the brands now so that the series can be continued. Mm. And and that's, you know, I think breathing new life into the series characters yeah, when you true. bring in, you yeah. bring in a new writer. I mean, the the as similar as it's going to be, it's still going to be somebody else, yeah. you know, somebody else's ideas and it's going to freshen things up. So I, I, I do, I think the read, I, from what I can tell, readers are gonna read yes <laughs> they want to read That's they true. want a brilliant book yep. everybody has their own specific tastes but they want a great story told well that makes them you know close the covers and like i want to read more from that author yeah and that's what's always in the back of my mind. I want I want people to close the cover of my book and say wow I want to go read another one of her books. That's my only goal. I don't care which one you do, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever you're in the mood for. 
yeah. I try to I try to cover a lot of bases to make sure there's something for everyone. But that's you know your voice is what captures people regardless of the kind of books you're writing. I think. Yeah. I think that's no, my no. Theory, I agree. Basically. I agree. I think you're absolutely right. I think you know looking back over your career so far. I mean you you've you've touched in all these different areas, and I think that's I think you've had a fascinating career. And you know here we are. We mentioned you know with March winding down here, we're we're at the tail end of Women's History Month, and it seems all the more important to point out the fact that you're an inspiration to people out there. You know not just <laughs> inspiring writers, but people who who have a dream or a goal that they feel like oh I can never do that, and you know they see someone like you finding it and making it work and then continuing to grow. And I think that's great. And I'm just wondering. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. That was incredibly kind. And and I really appreciate that. Well, I just think so often, you know, people are, people are discouraged by things, you know, like you said yourself, your first book didn't sell and you could have Mm -hmm. just been like, well, darn, you know, and, and moved on, you know, but you weren't discouraged. And I think that's, I think especially now that's such an important message, you know, that that these things are attainable and there's a way to do it. And I think, you know, your career is is a great example of that. But I'm wondering for you personally, you know, when you were starting out, I know you mentioned, you know, your dad's support and this local editor. But I but I wonder, was there were, were there people that, you know, you were looking up to particularly that was that were kind of guiding you and pushing you on this on this way as you were first starting out? I have so many. <laughs> I don't even know how I could limit it. All I knew about writing was what I learned in college. And I didn't fit with the college model. And they mm. told me I wasn't good enough to get published. And so I didn't go and get the MFA that sure. I was planning on and went a different path. Mm-hmm. And I came back to it with a uh, I don't know that I'm good enough to do this. I was really scared. I didn't, you know. But I really liked crime fiction. I've always liked crime fiction. Mm -hmm. So I was reading John Sanford. And that actually, I'd gone to my local library and said, hey, I'm looking for good crime fiction. And the librarian said, did you, have you ever read John Sanford? Mm. And I said, no. And she said, here, I want you to to try this. And I was three books into the Prey series when I went, okay, I want to try this again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I didn't know how. So I took Tammy Hogue, Tess Gerritsen, uh, Lisa Gardner and Alex Kava and Erica Spindler. Okay. And I deconstructed their books, deconstructed okay. their stories. Mm-hmm. How do they do this? How are they? When does a character come onto the screen? When do you end a chapter? Where do you end uh, a, a section? How do you build this book? I deconstructed it and I taught myself how to write crime fiction mm-hmm. using their work. Okay. And and that's why, you know, a lot of my earlier stuff is certainly, you know, in the vein of all of the female thriller writers at the time. Okay. You know, we, there was a lot that was that was, you know, very similar. I also, you know, wanted to model my career on a few people that I really genuinely thought were doing it right. Okay. Even thinking I was going to have a career was a little bit egotistical, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> you know, but again, with the support, you know, my dad, my husband, my family, uh, the people around me, my friends at the time, you know, I had a lot of people buoying me up. Mm-hmm. I had a critique group that I went to, and we brought 10 pages every two weeks, and that taught me deadlines. Sure. You know, just, just all of these components from all of these people. It took an entire village, everybody kind of had a part of it and everybody 
created me mm-hmm. and, and that's <laughs> oh so it, you know blame it on them right yeah <laughs> it's all their fault yeah it's yeah all their fault. <laughs> but there's just there's so many incredible female fiction thriller writers out there that i you know i had a i had an embarrassment of riches to choose from well that's great i i really appreciate you sharing that uh, remember, the, the book is Her Dark Lies. It's available in stores now and right here at the David A. Howe Public Library, so you can come in and check it out. JT, once again, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to me today. I know you've uh, got a very busy schedule at the moment, and it sounds like you have just as much ahead of you as you've already had behind you here, so <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be busy yeah. for a while here. But anyway, well, hey, it was great meeting you today. Thanks again. I really do appreciate you it. You too. All right. Thanks, day. Nick. I'm so glad that we made it happen. I know, right? One. Finally. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, Finally. Well, if you enjoyed my chat with J.T. Ellison as much as I did, I encourage you to pop over to the All the Book Show archives and tune into my special interview with Tess Gerritsen. We recorded this a few years back, and you can find it at soundcloud.com slash allthebooks or anywhere you get your podcast, and it's called Author Interview with Tess Gerritsen. Uh, we talk all about her book, Playing with Fire, which she wrote original music to. So fascinating interview. Anyway, in the coming weeks, I'll be joined by author Alex Irvine, as well as a return from Malika Costa, where we're going to be talking about some poetry, because April is Poetry Month. So uh, stick around for any and all of that, and we will see you then. Bye. <laughs>